Welcome to Two Cents FC. I'm your host, L. Johnson. As you can see, our brother Moby is missing this week, but we'll hold it down for him. Each week, we'll be talking with individuals from around the soccer world, learning about their stories, and giving their unfiltered thoughts and opinions. This week, we'll be going 1v1 with Dr. Jermaine Scott, who has a PhD in African American Studies. He's also the founder of the Black Herring Supporters Group and co-host the Dreaming of Freedom podcast. We'll begin to know all about Jermaine, talking about his career, and learning more about what he does in the local Miami community. Jermaine, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, L. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, really happy to be here. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Definitely been wanting to talk to you for a minute. Um, we had some big announcements this week. We'll get into that a little bit later, but... Definitely, right. definitely ha happy to have you on. So the first thing we do when we have a guest on the show is we ask them about when they fell in love with soccer. So tell us about that. Yeah, so I mean, I fell in love with soccer at a very early age. Uh, I'm of Jamaican descent, so soccer was always uh, the first sport in the household. Um, and, you know, it was just kind of a natural, it was just kind of a natural, uh, you know, growth with the game. Um, so I started playing like rec soccer at like four. Um, and then I started playing travel soccer around 12, 13. Um, and then in high school, I actually stopped playing to kind of focus more on a marching band. But uh, that's, a <laughs> that's another story. But, uh, but you, know, I've, I, you know, I've always been uh, a part of the game. Uh, when I went to uh, Chicago to get my PhD, you know, I would play pickup games and it was a, like a really vibrant pickup community out there in Chicago. Um, so it was good, you know, kind of staying active, staying fit there. Um, and then of course my research, uh, which is kind of a very kind of organic, um, you know, kind of gravitation towards the research. So, you know, I, you know, I look at, you know, kind of black soccer players and black soccer experiences, um, historical experiences um, and contemporary ones. And uh, so, you know, it's just, it's just all kind of all kind of all consuming to be honest. Um, so I fell in love at a very young age and, uh, you know, it's kind of been giving me life, you know, ever since. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you mentioned you're of Jamaican descent. So tell us a little bit about your background. Like, what's your origin story? Like, from little Jermaine all the way up to now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so I'm of Jamaican descent. Uh, shout out to moms and pops. Uh, um, you know, they did a great job really instilling, like, Jamaican culture uh, at home, you know, gr growing up in the U.S. Uh, you know, I was born, I was born in Florida, born and raised in West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, and yeah, and it was, you know, it was, you know, it was a cool, it was a cool, uh, you know, uh, uh, childhood, you know, I mean, one thing I would say is that soccer really kind of became the first informal space that I had to really ask questions about, like race, you know, I, I, I don't think I was directly asking those questions, but to be one of two black people on the team, you know, to be the only black person on the team. Um, you know, like I noticed those things, you know, like I didn't know how to process it, but it was something that I noticed. Right. And so, um, you know, that's kind of one thing I, you know, I distinctly remember about, you know, particularly in the context of, of, of uh, soccer. Um, yeah. So then, you know, I, you know, going to high school, well, in middle school, I went to a, an arts middle school. Uh, you know, I played in the band and that's kind of where my love for music really, you know, took off. And, um, in high school, I went to Suncoast Community High School, uh, shout out to the Chargers, uh, and I was in the band all four years, um, and it was a good, you know, it was a great experience. I learned a lot of, uh, you know, skills, and um, I learned a lot about myself, you know, uh, how to be a leader, um, you know, how to, just how to be around people, right? It was a great, like, kind of social experience. 
Um, and that's also when I stopped playing soccer to kind of really focus in on on the band on the band thing. And uh, that kind of took me to Florida A and M University uh, up in Tallahassee. Shout out to all my HBCUs, especially you, the Rattlers. You remember the Marching One uh, Hundred? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, I was in the Marching One Hundred. Uh, I played bass drum. Uh, you know, that was going to be my two truths. <laughs> that was probably going to be you know part of my two truths. So I'm glad we're, I'm glad we won't get to that, but. Um, yeah, so I was in the Marching 100. I played bass drum, um, you know, all, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I played all three years. The fourth year, that's when uh, that's when the band got suspended uh, because of hazing. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, I don't really like talking about that, but, yeah, uh, you know, something that happened and it's something that, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's something that, you know, we, you know, at HBCUs, it's kind of just part of the experience. Really at any, you know, at any university, right? It's really kind of part of the experience. Um, so anyways, but... Yeah, so I played all three years. I loved it. Um, again, really honed in on those leadership skills and, and 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 just really like learned how to interact with people from all over. Right? It was, you know, at a university, you're gonna get people from Miami, you're gonna get people from Atlanta, you're gonna get people from from Tallahassee, right? Kind of the local Tallahassee uh, uh, citizen. So it was, it was, you know, it was cool. It was really cool. Um, I really love my experience at FAMU and HBCU. I'm a strong supporter of HBCUs. Um, and so afterwards, I got I got my degree i got my bachelor's in history uh from famu um and then i immediately went and got my phd from northwestern university up in chicago or up in evanston uh, technically um and that was another beautiful experience i mean it was probably the most uh, intellectually rigorous experience uh that you know that i've gone through um but it was good you know it was really good um you know we lived on the south side for a little bit uh you know, you know, down in Bronzeville, which is just a beautiful community, a beautiful space, beautiful people. Um, so Chicago is just a whole vibe, you know, in itself. Uh, so I was I was blessed to, you know, spend six years there. Um, and then after that, uh, after I got my Ph.D., I got a postdoctoral fellowship uh, at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. <laughs> and that was probably the the wild, you know, it was just Charlottesville is not a vibe, <laughs> or it is a vibe. It's just a very dangerous, racist, right. you know, vibe. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, that was a that was a wild experience. UVA in itself, like the department that I was in for the year, was was a beautiful department. It was African American Studies department, and it was, you know, beautiful people. You know, everyone very loving and warm. But outside of those walls, outside of that department, which is very like hostile. Um, so, you know, it was it was good to kind of get out of that space. That's when we moved back to uh, Florida, moved back to Miami, where I'm now teaching uh, at Florida Atlantic University. Uh, the one good thing during during my time in Charlottesville is that I got married to my beautiful wife. Uh, so we got married in 2019 down in Miami. Um, so, you know, she's been with me from day one. Um, so, you know, she's kind of the ride or die. Uh, and so we moved back down to to Miami we're actually where she grew up, you know, it's kind of her childhood home. So her parents moved out uh, to Atlanta a few years ago. Um, so now we're kind of taking over the house and starting a family, you know, got a nine month old at home, nine and a half month old at home. So things are moving fast. Things are moving fast. I'm trying to balance hey, man, everything. Uh, but yeah, that's kind thing. of the, yeah, that's kind of the origin story for sure. It's a beautiful thing. Um, so let's talk about your, your, your doctorate degree a little bit and how it pertains to soccer. Yeah. Can you kind of like yeah. give us a, give some, Give us some insight on that, like how your studies sure, kind of sure. kind of merge. 
Yeah, you know, when I first got to uh, Northwestern, I, I wanted to do a project on like black labor politics. Um, I, you know, I, I, I kind of wanted to follow the career of this one individual named Ewart Gwinear, um, who was like a politician. He was a labor organizer. He was a professor. Um, he just wore a lot of different hats. Um, but quickly into the program, like a year and a half in, I realized that this wasn't going to sustain me intellectually uh, for the rest of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really just kind of followed my passion, which was sports. And so at first I was kind of figuring out how to do a sport, like a general sports project. Um, and then it was one of my advisors that said, you know, you should really you should really think about doing something about blackness and soccer and the diaspora, um, you know, and so we kind of ran with that. And so you know, basically the work that I'm doing now, the work that I did um, at Northwestern was really looking at the different experiences of black footballers, you know, kind of really throughout the 20th century across the African diaspora. Um, So I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at a black soccer team in the 1920s and 30s and 40s in New York called the Falcons, a really dope team made up of um, like, you know, World War One vets and World War Two vets, you know, over time, uh, all from the Caribbean, all from Africa, you know, all black players, like one of the few black teams playing up in New York. Uh, they're based in Harlem, you know, so it's just a kind of a beautiful, a beautiful little story there uh, out of Harlem. So I go from Harlem, then I go to Howard University um, in the 1970s, uh, where they win the night where they win the NCAA championship in, in soccer in 71 and 74. Uh, then I hop, uh, I hop down to Brazil, where I look at uh, a club in Sao Paulo, a Corinthians football club. And during the 80s, they have the Corinthians democracy, uh, which was a beautiful um, kind of democratic experiment that the club went through, uh, led by a number of different players, uh, including you know Socrates, you know who's kind of famous for you know uh, captaining the the Brazil side uh, in the 1980s. World Cup or nineteen eighty four World Cup? Don't quote me on that. It's nineteen eighty nineteen eighty four. No, nineteen no nineteen eighty six. Nineteen eighty six. Um, and so you know, I'm looking. What I'm looking at in that in that particular project is how the black players kind of organize themselves and kind of what you know what were their politics during that during that in um, during that project. So I'm looking at two players, Vladimir Rodriguez dos Santos and uh, Zay Maria two, you know, Afro-Brazilian footballers who, you know, one of them, Zé Maria, gets in, like, formal politics. He joins, like, the city council. And uh, Vladimir, he's, like, bringing, he's, like, creating a dance school, like a ballet school, right? And he's, like, teaching, well, not him, but he brings in, like, dance teachers where he's, you know, talking about capoeira and talking about ballet and jazz and how, like, all of this training helps his, helps his performance on the pitch. And so you know, so, you know, I'm you know I'm figuring out kind of what they're doing and how they're you know bringing in this kind of African diasporic culture uh, into the game, and then I well then I then I go to the Netherlands where I'm talking about the 1990s uh, Netherlands team, um, kind of this cohort of black players like Edgar Davids and Clarence Seedorf and uh, Patrick Kluivert, uh, Vincent Bogard, um, and kind of how they how they kind of really uh, challenge some of the media's perceptions of them, right? The kind of, you know, the, the Dutch media at the time perceives them as kind of being bratty or, you know, being like young stars from, you know, from the streets, right? And they're like, no, we're, you know, we're players and, you know, and uh, you're not going to treat us differently, right? So I'm kind of looking at this moment where they kind of take a stand against 
uh, the media, but also the coaches at the time that you know, like they thought they were being discriminated against. And so I look at that um, and then I end uh, the book that I'm writing. The, I, I, I end the book with uh, I was a history of like a book right here. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just kind of going through my chapters in my head. It's, everything is just, yeah, it's just all over right now. Sorry. But uh, the last chapter of the book is uh, looking at the uh, history of women's football in Jamaica. And so I look at the history of uh, women's football in Jamaica, really starting the the late 1960s. Um, I bring it up to the uh, the early 1990s, and then I finish it with looking at the the reggae girl strike uh, back in um, following the 2019 World Cup at, when they when they striked against uh, the Jamaican Football Federation. Um, so that's kind of the whole scope of the project. And so, but the, the kind of main thrust is this kind of diasporic framing where I'm looking at football in all of these different spaces and seeing how black people are responding to the game, you know, how, how the game essentially becomes a, a space uh, for black politics. That's dope. That seems like a really like fun area to study as well. Like, you know, kind of yeah. merging the passion for the sport as well as history and tying things in. That's like yes. when they say, um, like your like your passion is like a job or your passion your job isn't a job because it's something that you love like exactly. i think that's I, I, I could like feel and hear your passion as you're explaining everything and definitely looking forward to reading this book too man it sounds super super dope. yeah <laughs> yeah i need to write it i mean you know i mean it's it's, it's kind of drafted up it's it's, it's drafted okay. up it's it's it's, it's like 90 percent of my dissertation and so I'm just kind of adding a new chapter and kind of cleaning or adding two new chapters and cleaning everything up. Um, so hopefully it's out, you know, my, you know, my goal is that it's out before the next World Cup. So it kind of, you know, picks up that steam and, and all of that. But uh, yeah, that's the goal, man. Or 2026. For 20, 2026, 2026. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So that's the goal. That's the goal. All right. So you mentioned that you're a professor at FAU. Like, what do you teach there? What's, tell, tell us about, you know, your kind of day-to-day -day experience there and like what things you're teaching. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I'm yeah. I'm a uh, my official title is an assistant professor of African American history um, at Florida Atlantic University uh, in Boca Raton, Florida, um, and I teach um, African American history both before and after 1877. So, kind of you know the, the history of slavery and the history of like uh, really the 20th century African American history. Uh, those are two different classes, and then I teach African diaspora history. Um, I teach American sports history. Um, I teach, in, you know, I've taught a couple of um, different grad courses on like the Black radical tradition and um, American history. So, um, but my main courses are those African American history courses and the African diaspora history courses. Okay, dope, dope. What are um, you touched on your book already? But what are some like Black historical soccer moments that really resonate with you? Yeah, I mean, well, me personally, um, you know, I mean, we can talk about the book. I mean, I think all of those chapters are kind of very important moments to know as kind of this black soccer history, because um, they're all moments that you have black teams, right, or black collective as, as kind of, you know, how I'm trying to how I'm trying to conceptualize it, kind of these black athletic collectives. Rather than just kind of individual athletes, we're talking about more than one, right? And so, mm -hmm. what happens when more like this collective really starts to fight back and you know talk back, you know, to the system that they feel, you know, is is treating them, you know, discriminatory? Um, and so, 
Um, I think all of those moments are important for me personally. You know, the first moment that stands out is like the 1998 World Cup. Um, seeing seeing the Netherlands team, right? I remember vividly, right? Seeing Edgar Davids with the locks, with the goggles, and I'm like, whoa, like who is this? black guy you know like balling like just running up and down right and so the dutch team always kind of held this this kind of fascinating you know team in my head right but then of course france right it was you know also a very diasporic team um and so and, and then of course 1998 was the first time and only time the jamaican men's team uh made it to the world cup right so it's a very distinct kind of moment <laughs> uh in my head um also, you know, thinking about like uh, Mario Balotelli, right? Like his kind of famous celebrations. Like these, I, I think these are the type of moments that I'm interested in are like moments that we wouldn't expect, right? Certain celebrations that we wouldn't expect. Um, you know, of course, there's the, the, you know, there's a history of anti-racist you know, politics in, in European football. Uh, we can date that back to the early 1990s. Um, you know, where they're talking about kick it out, where like they're talking about, you know, equality and anti-racism slogans, right? Uh, um, Rude Gullet, right, uh, mm -hmm. of the Netherlands. Uh, you know, he dedicates his Ballon d'Or to uh, Nelson Mandela, right, in the, in, you know, at the height of apartheid, right? You know, and so these are also moments, right, where I'm, you know, of course, the contemporary moment, right, where, you know, the Premier League is still taking a knee. I'm not sure if that's, I'm not sure how long that's going to continue, right? <laughs> but, yeah. you know, the fact that, you know, they have committed to do that, you know, at least, what, two, maybe two and a half seasons now, um, and just seeing more individual Black footballers, you know, coming out and, to, you know, you know Raheem Sterling, um, uh, Romelu Lukaku, right? All, kind of all of these players that are starting to speak out um, and kind of tell their stories. Um, I think those are the moments that I'm most interested in, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, my mind is racing right now. The content creator in me is like <laughs> tons of ideas yes, happening yes, right now. Yes, so yes. definitely, I'm definitely gonna tap in with you um, yes, offline sure. about some of those things because I think those are some some really dope stories that you know may have been told, but like may not have been told in depth, or people may not have like a full depth of them. So right. definitely, right. we're gonna we definitely gonna circle back on that one. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. So you know, you're down in Miami, and you know lover of the game. I know you're an Inner Miami fan, um, but you also started a supporters group for Inner Miami. Yes. Um, so what inspired you to found the Black Herons? Yes. Um, so what inspired me were, to be completely honest, were the existing Black supporter groups and just kind of the existing Black soccer culture that I felt like was emerging within the last five, six, seven years. Um, well, I mean, we can really, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's dating back from Footy Mob, right, in Atlanta. Um, like once they came on the scene, it was like, oh wow, right? There's, <laughs> there's a black supporter group, right? A supporter group that is centering and prioritizing black culture. Um, you know, and then of course we saw it with Chicago with Black Fires. Um, we saw it at Forward Madison with Featherstone Flamingos, in New Mexico United with Black Diamonds. Uh, Rose Room Collective um, uh, with DC United and, uh, and 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 the Washington Spirit. Um, so it was just it was just, you know you could tell something was something was happening. And then on top of that, you had the whole podcast scene, which was you know of course you guys. It was Shea Butter. It was for the culture. It was just nonstop. Can I kick it right? It was just nonstop content. Like whoa. Um, 
and it wasn't just and it wasn't just content for content's sake, right? It was it was actually a, there was a message behind all of it, right? This kind of culture verse, right? I love that. It's just you, it was something was building, right? And so, um, I kind of wanted to see what the scene was like in Miami, and so, you know, just to be clear, you know, I've been a I've been a fan of Miami soccer from the Miami Fusion days, right? People <laughs> recently, people have started to come out of like you know. Who is this guy? Like, where'd you come from, right? So I've been a fan of Miami soccer since the Miami Fusion days, right? Now, I, I, I may have just recently entered this official supporter group um, scene, but to me, what was happening was that the club seemed to be doing a great job of marketing the club as a, as a club for the Latin American community. Now, in the context of U.S. soccer, I love that, right, because... U.S. soccer is largely marketed as a, as a white sport, right? right? And so when we have spaces like the Cultureverse, right, when we have, um, you know, clubs kind of tapping into other communities other than the, the kind of white American community, I'm all for it, right? The problem to me was that that is not the entirety of the Miami and South Florida experience. And I felt like the club was missing a potential opportunity to tap into those already soccer loving communities right it's not like you're trying to convince these communities to love the game right you're talking about jamaicans who love the game haitians that love the game trinidadians that love the game right and so back in 2021 um i started kind of reaching out to different members on twitter to be i just started seeing like black people on twitter talking about inner miami and i would just reach out to them like hey like what do you think about starting like this black supporter group for inner miami and they were with it, right? And so some of these members were, you know, Kolya Barnes, you know, shout out to Kolya, uh, AD, Bradley, um, who's a producer for the podcast, um, Blaine, you know, shout out to Blaine, you know, so, you know, a lot of these members, Alex Windley, who who is doing great reporting work for Into Miami, um, she's just a bomb. Um, so, you know, a lot of these members, you know, we kind of all kind of started this together, right? Um, you know, we created the name Black Herons together. You know, we created the mission statement together. Um, so it was very much of a collaborative effort. Um, and again, we all we all shared the idea that the club needs to do a better job of creating a space for right the kind of Black communities that exist in South Florida. And so, you know, we kind of said, you know, whatever. Instead of waiting for the club to do that, let's just do that ourselves, right? And we already kind of knew of the existing culture around U.S. soccer, right? You know, as we talked about the culture verse before, right? So we already knew there was an infrastructure that existed that we can kind of, you know, tap into, contribute to, kind of give our own Miami um, experience to. Um, and I think what's what's different about Miami is what I was saying about before is that it's it's not this kind of black versus white, right? It's not white U.S. soccer versus black U.S. soccer, right? It's it's and it's not even a versus. I, you know, I don't even want to put it. I don't even want to set it up like versus, right? But it's more of a, um, you know, there's a deep passion and a deep um, a commitment to market to the Latin American communities, but you could also show that same commitment to the Black communities, right, in Miami. And so, uh, we just wanted to we just wanted to highlight that, right? And so, I don't think that's the case in a place like Chicago, right, where the soccer scene is very you know, it's marketed as very white, right? You know, or, you know, so, so it's, you know, it's kind of, you know, how, how the game is marketed in different areas that I think makes Miami unique, right? Or into Miami unique. Yeah, for sure. Um, we know, we all know, we've heard, heard stories about, you know, supporter culture in America and how 
complicated it can be at times, whether it's dealing with the team, whether it's dealing with other supporters groups. Um, what have been some of the highlights around creating the group, but also what have been some of the challenges that you've faced? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the highlights have been creating that space, creating the community. Um, and even if it's not like in person, right, it's not like we have a hundred members showing up to games. It's not like we have 50 members showing up to games. You probably, you know, whatever. We have small, you know, modest numbers, right? But it's the community that we're creating, um, whether it's on WhatsApp, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram. We're creating a space where people can engage with the club, right? Can engage with Black Miami culture um, and still engage with the game, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's about the game, but it's also about representation of the game. Um, so that's been the biggest highlight, just kind of creating that space. Um, we also did a lot of work with uh, local uh, local clubs, in, in particular Little Haiti FC, which is an incredible grassroots, non-pay-to-play club. And these kids are ballers. Like they're not like, it's not some charity kid, right? Like they are out here balling, okay? So, um, you know, doing work with them, right? Um, whether that's in the case of, you know, donating, you know, donating waters for a scrimmage, donating soccer balls, right? Just for the, you know, for the, you know, for the, for the players. Um, we started a GoFundMe for them so they can participate in uh, this international soccer tournament in St. Lucia, right? And so, you know, just doing things like that, kind of tapping into that community, um, you know, we're, you know, we're trying to do more and more. Uh, we're trying to do a couple of other things that we've got planned. We don't want to, we don't want to give it out uh, yet, um, but stay tuned for that. You know, we 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 want to do something around tailgating, right? What is what is tailgating? What is kind of this Miami Black Miami tailgating experience look like? Uh, you know, so one big thing is like this, you know, Auntie Mary's rum punch that we kind of keep, you know, promoting, like, <laughs> you know, so it's, um, you know, so like we want to like bring in different pieces of our cultures, right? We want to bring in Jamaican culture. We want to bring in Trinidadian culture. We want to bring in Haitian culture, right? And kind of see what that, what that brings us into a tailgate. Um, uh, some other, you know, some other, um, you know, highlights would just be kind of like getting merch, right? Just like simple things like getting merch and just like <laughs> being able to, you know, to get those things, um, and then represent, right? Um, but then some of the, the downfalls, um, you know, some of the disappointing things, I guess, about being part of supporter group culture, and I and I don't want to say it's specific or unique to Inter Miami. I'm hearing more and more it's you know, widespread, um, you know, is this, this, this concept of gatekeeping, right? It's, you know, who are you new guys on the block, right? You know, you guys are just coming out of nowhere. You're trying to call shots. Um, you know, so there's a lot of gatekeeping, right? There's just a lot of gatekeeping, right? I'll just put it at that. Um, and so that's been a struggle, right? Kind of our response is like, listen, we're an independent supporter group, right? We're not an official supporter group. Um, so, you know, all the, you know, the hoops and loops that you want us to do and right and want us to jump through, we're not going to do that, right? Because we're independent. We're going to, we're going to move how we want to move. Um, and so, yeah, so I think there's just a little like confusion about who we are, right? Like why, why we exist, right? Like when we first came out, there was like, you know, you know, this, this supporter group is based off of race. I, I think that's kind of divisive and why does it have to be? And it's like, you know, that's not, that's not what it's about, right? <laughs> you know, like there are supporter groups of Inter Miami, official supporter groups of Inter Miami, 
that if you go onto their websites right now, they explicitly say we are rooting our experience in the Latin American football experience. They explicitly say that, right? That's not political, right? So like no one's com- no one's coming to them saying, hey, you know, that's political, right? But as soon as a black supporter group says we want to root our experiences in black culture, then it's somehow it's divisive and it's political. So so those are the types of conversations that we have to have sometimes with you know other supporter groups or other members, you know, other people on social media. Um, you know, but we just try to, you know, stay the course, we just try to continue to show up as our good friend DJ Aero told us in in you know episode one. It's just like, you know, you just have to show up. You just have to keep showing up. Um, and so that's what we're gonna do, right? So it's disappointing, but Again, we're not really too concerned about what the club thinks or what other supporter groups think. It's like, as long as we're doing the work, as long as we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, uh, you know, tapping into the community, um, you know, building that space, um, that's, you know, that's why we exist. So it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a threat in our, our unity. You know what I mean? So yeah, there's always going to be some pushback when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, unfortunately, unfortunately, and I definitely need to I definitely need to try Auntie Mary's uh, rum punch. I didn't get a chance to try it while I was while you guys were down in Atlanta, so definitely looking yes, forward to that. Yes, um, sir. Yes, sir. But let's let's get into um, the podcast side of things. So you guys recently started a podcast called Dreaming of Freedom. Um, yep. And spoiler alert: if you've been paying attention to the the timeline, they're part of the Two Cents FC family, yep. part of the Cultureverse. Yep. So yep. welcome, yep. happy Thank to have you. y'all. Thank you. Um, tell us how the podcast started. You know, talk about you know what you guys would be talking about and you know the premises around it. Yeah. So you know, um, the the whole you know I, I guess I'll start with the name. The, the name Dreaming of Freedom uh, started actually with the club, right? So the club's phrase is actually called Freedom to Dream, right? And so you know it's a it's a it's a pretty phrase that kind of you know thinks about the, the possibilities of, you know, what we can dream of as a club, you know. Um, and so as a black supporter group, we wanted to kind of flip that and say, okay, well, we want to say dreaming of freedom um, to represent two things. The first thing is, you know, it represents dreaming of freedom, dreaming of literally Miami Freedom Park, which is supposed to represent the club, which is supposed to represent football, right, which is supposed to represent freedom, right, we're dreaming of freedom. Um, but then also dreaming of freedom is to represent the histories of black freedom struggles, right? Or just freedom struggles in general. Um, and so we, you know, um, so that's where the name came about dreaming of freedom. And then we just thought, you know, we might as well just turn this into a podcast where we can talk about um, historical and contemporary events that have, that have political meaning, that have deep kind of cultural meaning um, and kind of open that up and, you know, kind of see, you know, see where we can go with those stories. Um, so a lot of episodes will be about kind of historical events. Other episodes will be about current events and kind of tapping into the history of that current event, right? like, you know, the history of the present, if you will. Um, so that's kind of the structure, you know, we're going to have interviews. Um, hopefully, you know, most episodes will have interviews. Um, our first episode, we, you know, we interviewed Furima from Atlanta, you know, great people, Reggie and Aero. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of uh, the vision. And, you know, it's really... Um, it's really again inspired by the existing, you know, the existing network, you know, the existing two cents network, the existing black kind of culture podcast, right? It's just like black footy podcast, right? Where it's um, everyone's doing an incredible job. So uh, we just wanted to tap into that space and again provide a little uh, Miami, you know, Miami flair, if you will. 
for sure. And so if you guys haven't checked out their first episode yet, definitely make sure you tap into that. Got more good stuff coming from them. Definitely excited about, you know, where you guys are going to take the show um, and happy to be you know involved and happy to be able to support any way that we can. So appreciate it. You know, appreciate definitely. It. We got your back. We're behind you on that. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. All right. So let's jump into some some fun stuff, some rapid fire questions that I got here. Um, first one, what are some what is one interesting fact about yourself that most people wouldn't know? Uh, one interesting fact would be that uh, I have a twin brother. Maybe most people don't know that I have a twin brother. It's not identical, but you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a twin brother. Yeah, Jeremy. Shout out to Jeremy. He's out there in uh, he's at, he's actually out there in uh, in the Bay Area. He just moved out there to Oakland. Oh, uh, A couple of weeks ago. Dope, yeah, dope. Yeah. That's what's up. I'm about to get had to get Jeremy tapped in. Yeah, 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 for sure. So what we doing with the town FC? Yeah. All right. Um. So you being Jamaican, you know, you having a Caribbean background, but also being down in Miami, what's on your pre-match slash tailgate playlist? Ooh, um, wow. Okay, so definitely a lot of Trick Daddy. I'll say that definitely a lot of Trick Daddy. Um, a lot of reggae. You know, like me personally, <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't say this for the actual tailgate uh experience but me personally like i I mean i listen to a lot of reggae just just kind of throughout the house or if i'm like working like doing like physical labor i'll listen to reggae music a lot um but to the tailgate yeah it's just like a lot of miami music um so like miami is known for not only this like bass sound which we can kind of date back to like uncle luke and um you know kind of that that early 90s scene um but more in the early 2000s, we can look at uh, uh, kind of this juke style, right? Where it's like juke and music. And so we could think of like uh, groups like Grind Mode, uh, I'm So High, or, um, you know, Ecstasy. Um, you know, all of these like, you know, what we call juke and music or bopping music, um, you know. <laughs> You know, if you know if the if the listeners to the pod, you know, go onto YouTube and type in like you know, joking and bopping South Florida, they'll see exactly what I'm talking about. But yeah, anything around that sound, we're playing. Uh, yeah, of course, reggae. Um, we're trying to get, we're trying to, we want to get more like Haitian influence into uh, like the tailgate experience into into Black Herons. We have a couple of Haitian members. We have one member who you know who does a lot of great work. Uh, with little Haiti FC, he runs their he runs their Instagram uh, page, um, but we want to kind of get more of that kind of Haitian culture um, into the scene, into the scene. But yeah, so I'd say reggae and really like Florida music, right? Like really just like we want to hone in on that Florida music. So anything from Florida, Trick Daddy, Trina, uh, Grind Mode, uh, anything like that, Uncle Luke, right? Anything like that. For sure, as it as it should be. Right? <laughs> um, last one. What's your favorite off work activity? Ooh, what's my favorite off work activity? Man, man, you know I don't do a, <laughs> I don't do a lot of uh, a lot of activities off work, especially now, uh, especially now with this with this kid. The last <laughs> last nine and a half months <laughs> has been work and then no play. Um, but I would say if I have the time, like I'll definitely, you know, pull out my little keyboard and try and make a little beat here and there and, you know, try and put together some some type of song. Uh, so, you know, 
you know, I've been trying to produce, trying to produce from my high school days. And so that's, that's a little, you know, hobby that I like to do every now and then, but I just need to find the time because it takes a lot of time for me to kind of figure all that out. But yeah, that's, that's probably what I would say. Yeah, I feel you on that one. Time is definitely scarce these days <laughs> to be able to take some time for yourself and chill out and just yes. relax. So yes. I definitely understand you there, yes. especially on the kids' side. So yes, man. For real. For sure. For real. Well, that's our show. Jermaine, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Where can people find you? Where can people find Black Herons? Yes. Dreaming of Freedom on the internet. Yes, yes. So uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter uh, at Black Soccer Doc. Um, just spell it exactly how it sounds. Uh, you can find Black Herons at Black Herons UTD at Black Herons United, right? UTD. Um, that's on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, it's uh, Freedom Dream at Freedom Dreams BH, and on Instagram, it's at uh, I believe it's at Dreaming of Freedom Pod. I believe it's at at Dreaming of Freedom Pod. Um, but if you type in Dreaming of Freedom, I'm sure it'll come up. But um, yeah, so yeah, that's where you can find me. That's where you can find me. Right. We'll have all of that in the show notes as well. So yeah. make it easy to link in, follow them. Definitely tap in with them. They're doing great work over there. Thank you. Um, that's our show for this week. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. It helps us get discovered. Follow us on the socials at Two Cents FC Show. Um, and then tweet us your comments on the show. Any topics you want us to discuss, yeah. be sure to tap in if you are a part of our Patreon. Definitely tap in with us there. Um, you have the opportunity to ask ask our show go ask our show hosts our show guests questions um get early access to episodes and a lot of other cool content and stuff so definitely tap in with us um on patreon as well um but until next week 